0: Welcome to the Chief Future Officer podcast. In this podcast, we explore the evolving role of the CFO. My name is Indus Khetan, I'm your host. And today we are joined by a seasoned finance executive, Scott Myers. Scott Myers is the CFO of React Gaming Group. Scott, welcome to the show.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you, Indus.
0: So, Scott, jumping into your career. You've spent time at Schneider. Now you are the CFO of React. Take down your own memory lane and tell us your journey as undergrad, as a high schooler. Is finance you wanted to be in?
1: You know, I didn't know, I would say. I think um, I actually had this, this dream where I wanted to go into the FBI when I was younger. And and one of the things that you could get into the FBI with was an accounting degree. And so I went that route when I went into college. And it just so happened, like, I was fortunate enough to live in a state that had a great accounting school. So went went to the University of Illinois. Um, and, and you know, somewhere between kind of going and, and leaving, I, I ended up on this finance career. And I was a little bit different because I, I just didn't want to go into audit right away. I looked at audit and I was like, this seems very, you know it seems like a lot of work and, and not a lot of like, pay maybe in retrospect, I wouldn't have that opinion, but went went straight into what they call in industry in a lot of places, which is, you know, somewhat unusual. I knew one other person I think in my career that did that, but yeah, so I didn't, didn't want to end up there. And then finally like just kind of fell on that path. Um, and then from there, it really took off. I kind of divide my career in two different phases. So first phase is, with a big company, Schneider Electric, and then got to a point there where, you know, my wife and I are juggling careers. And I'm like, you know what, I'd like to try something different. Because after, you know, so long with a company, and I find this happens usually with professionals at the 10 year mark, like, even when there's a fire, you're like, okay, I know where the extinguisher is, I know who to call, I know what we do when the mess is over, you know, it kind of gets it, it you want to test yourself and do something more. And so I, I ended up going into these small mid cap companies in Canada. And, you know, that was a, uh, I would say, you know, definitely a risky move, but I feel like it, I learned a ton from that.
0: You you mentioned about audit and mm-hmm. many of our guests in the previous season. Barring a few, as you mentioned, they start their careers as audit, you know, somewhere large, big four. And is it, it is this like a convention that's pretty much written down or there are other paths like yours, like there are more uh, paths like yours.
1: I think, you know, it depends where you are. So I'm in Canada now. I grew up in the U.S. In the U.S., I think it's a little bit more open. In Canada, there's definitely like, you need to go into audit and get your, like the path is pretty much there. Um, I do think there's other ways to get there. I know CFOs that have actually not gone even in a traditional accounting and finance role and learned it later. I think that's, that's rare. And it's in certain industries, it, it is mainly you, you do need to kind of get in at some level. Um, You know, personally, it's worked for me not to go that path. But I don't think it's like I said, in retrospect, like, it's not necessarily bad to have that discipline, because they really do teach you how to like, be an accountant in the audit profession. And if not for that, you know, almost think about it as some sort of like a postgraduate education that you get paid for, like, you're, you're kind of a grad student, actually, you know how they say, like, grad students they kind of just like mistreat and pay low and whatnot and some of that's changing in the industry but it's it's kind of was the case for for a while so it's somewhat similar um and again you can go into other companies or you can go into banking I mean there's there's other paths you can take um, I think the most important is you get your accounting degree and then you know decide um, there's definitely things that I you know if I was coaching my my past self I would I would tell myself to do differently for sure. And you grew up in Chicago. How was childhood like? Um, well, I, yeah. And just to be clear, I grew up in the suburbs, but I say Chicago because nobody knows the Chicago suburbs. But it was, um, you know, it was it was like a great childhood. It's safe and boring place to grow up, which is actually what you want when you're a kid. It's, uh, you know, I, I would say that that boring side, definitely a lot of people wanted to escape and do something different. So you go to school someplace else and like me, you know, escape the country after a while of being, I guess, in Illinois too much. I kind of joke though, like <laughs> most of like most of Chicago moved to Phoenix at some point because you just get tired of the weather, <laughs> so, you know, tornadoes in the summer and freezing cold winters and snow and just it, you kind of like go to Arizona and you're like ah it's just hot I can deal with this you know and you're still dreaming about FBI
0: when you were young
1: Uh no I think that's past you know and and part of it probably is like when I was in college and you know, it's when nine eleven happened and like the I think the my guess is, and I don't know too many people in, in, you know, in this area or, or know of um, like my parents were in or my one side of my fam, dad's family was in all law enforcement, but I think it changed a little bit from, you know, there was a lot of counterterrorism stuff and really what that co- is code for is like listening to phone calls for hours on end. So um you know, I could have a different picture of it because, I, like I said, I wasn't doing it. But it definitely like the the mood, I think, changed a little bit. And, and you know, when you're when you're a kid and dreaming of a job and then you kind of learn out what it actually means, sometimes you don't always want to want to know what your dream job entails. Right.
0: And how how was your first job? How did you land into
1: one? Yeah. So my first job actually was for this uh, this company called Spiegel. I think some people might know them. You might know the company Eddie Bauer. Yeah. So Spiegel was actually bankrupt and they were recruiting. Um, so it was kind of a weird, it was a weird place to start, you know, for a company that that basically is in, you know, reorg- bankruptcy reorganization, but it was actually great. Cause one, I worked with some great people there. I, I like, you know, I still think of them as kind of like, wow, I was lucky to work with all these people that, you know, were had these strong backgrounds and, you know, I think like just kind of hit the right timing. And then two, you know, when a company goes bankrupt, I mean, they ultimately had an asset they could wind out. But you know, I would almost encourage people like if you get that opportunity early on, go do it because if you're ambitious and you want to learn things, you can you can pick up stuff and kind of as the company's winding down, you're going to get newer and newer tasks. So it's almost like like a reverse boot camp, if you will. Um, because I remember starting with kind of just small stuff, as you do when you're like when you're you know starting out, and then like the you know as long as you can take on more and more stuff, like. You're pretty. You're pretty safe because somebody ultimately needs to uh, kind of shut the doors and close the key, and it's usually one of the accountants. It's kind of the last person. Like I did say though, the the entity did spin some stuff out, but the the, the initial entity, Spiegel, actually, I think, I think the ultimate fate is somebody who like buys brands, bought it, but it's it's no longer, as far as I know.
0: And how easy or difficult was it to get the first one?
1: I think it was difficult because I had no clue what I was doing. So that that's, and, and that's like the honest truth is like, you're like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and keep in mind, this was, you know, almost 20 years ago. So like, it was before LinkedIn before, you know, it was basically you, you need to find a recruiter. You need to like, you're looking like you still literally would look in classified ads for jobs. Like, like you use the newspaper. Um, you know, the internet wasn't as big of a thing. There was job boards, but there was still like, everything so you know you're, you're looking for that um like i said i would have done things a lot differently i think i think you know like a newspaper be, newspaper like actually going down like, like a piece of paper that has like stuff printed on it like yeah crazy you know crazy right like like you think it, like it completely died like i i hate when i get mail now you know like <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even want like real mail but yeah that was i didn't now i didn't find this job out there i found it through a recruiter i think it was robert half like they're a pretty big recruiting firm Canada, and the US. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure it was through them, but but ultimately, like, it took you know just kind of grinding through that to get that job. Yeah,
0: got it. And then from Spiegel, you went to Komatsu, and then from Komatsu to Schneider, and spent quite a bit of time at Schneider.
1: Yeah, Schneider's a great company. I mean, they're you know, one they're huge and nobody knows about them usually. So so the one thing I tell people is like. If, you, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, if you're anywhere in the world and you go to your circuit breaker box, you probably have a Schneider breaker, like one out of three shot, probably, roughly. Um, some places, you know, it's probably all that, like if you're in France, it's probably all that's there. If you're, you know, in like Canada, you're probably one out of three, U.S., maybe one out of two. And, you know, they, they have this big business that's a lot more than that, too, but that's kind of where I start people from there. They're really mature in their finance process and accounting processes as well. They have a lot of smart people that put together those those um, I would say modern reporting before it was modern reporting. Um, and you know, I'm sure like any company, they have rooms for improvement. But that's you know they, they're a good they're a good place to learn. So you know, I guess if you're young and you get an offer there in any country, I would I would say go take it. Um, and and I had a lot of opportunity there to kind of move through the organization. You know, I've changed countries and, um it was a it was a good place to kind of build a foundation of just everything that you needed to learn in finance and if you could talk to us
0: about your breeding at schneider in terms of your explorations and things that you got really good at versus what you started at you know
1: yeah like i would say you know when you're like you don't know what you don't know um so started there did consolidation accounting and then there was this group called FPA, and i was like I don't even know if those guys know what they're doing. You know, this is my young kind of way more arrogant. Like, you know, I know everything type type role and, and sense how multiple times, but, you know, and then, and then the, you know, I was lucky that the manager there, like, cause we had a good relationship with that team. They used a lot of our data from the consolidation side. I learned a lot about like, Hyperion consolidations was, you know, kind of my life for a couple of years. And then he's like, Hey, do you want to come over? And came over to that role. They had a lot of things to kind of fix and build up. So unfortunately, I think with FPNA teams, there's usually like somebody builds a team and then somebody else takes it over. And then the team sometimes just like everybody leaves because I think your shelf life in, it, in financial planning and analysis is like two or three years because either, either it's just not the job for you and you're not right at it. Or after two years, you kind of know everything and, and it gets kind of like it gets repetitive and boring. And then people that do really well in it tend to not be like the people that want to be in a repetitive, boring role. So there's a lot of high turnover and then the team's kind of quality goes up and down. And I joined on that downside, which it was a ton of work. Um, but at the same time, I think we like were able to make things, you know, move a lot faster. Like I remember one time they were there's a forecast process. So what you like every quarter you're putting in your forecast numbers and like the quarter before the team was, you know, really struggling to get it in. I think they were like there until two in the morning. And I'm like, no way, because I'm not one of these people that, that revels in working until two of the morning. I think it's kind of like, it's, it's a good way to do your worst work. And uh, yeah, like it's, it's really challenging. So I was like, okay, I know it's a problem. I'm going to prepare for it. Right. Like my my young, like mind and we were preparing for it, had everything going well, it was a lot of work to get to that point. But then like we were done by noon that day and we're like, wait, we're done. Like, okay, I guess, you know, we're, we're just going to go get lunch now. So I think, you know. That was a great opportunity to learn. Like one is, just a, a not every challenge has to be a challenge, and I'm sure you get this multiple fields, right? Um, I'm sure in your field, you know, you not everything has to be hard. You can you could figure out how it's how it's easy, and that you know was kind of one of those situations. Um, Do you think the
0: finance titles vis-a-vis what the work actually goes into it? needs to evolve a lot because at least as a product engineer, Mm -hmm. I have seen that it's no longer just a software engineer title. It is, you know, uh, DevOps or front-end or back-end or UI design, UX design, product managers. Yeah. The, The keywords that did not or were not present 15 years ago are now in full force. You'll find hundreds and thousands of job listings on LinkedIn. But I have not seen, or at least talking to many finance leaders like you, I have not seen that evolution. Like the, let's say they had a job 15 years ago and the, you hit the nail right, right on saying, hey, FPNA. But it's still the same FPNA. Why it is not three different roles as planning, analysis, forecasting. Why it is still fp and
1: I think, well i think some of its tradition and you know it's like we have these things i think some of it is y- you only have so big of a team so even in a in a huge global company you're going to have like you can, you only have so much headcount so you, it's hard to split mm. up all these roles somebody inevitably ends up taking taking on more work or like different pieces of it and you know part of it is i think you have certain people that are just they have skills in certain areas and they tend to, then they tend to end getting all the work in those areas. And it doesn't always cleanly fit into certain buckets. I know in software, I've, software, I've heard this before, like, you know, yeah, this, this guy's a front end developer, but he really yeah. own, he knows these three things really well. It doesn't know this thing. And then like we go over here and, you know, Jane over here does, does that one thing that like everybody else doesn't know how to do and we don't let her touch the other stuff because, you know, she's kind of bad at it. Um, but like, when you're looking at a team, sometimes you you figure out who plays what position the best and you you associate there. Um, you know, I will say one of the things I've had been lucky in certain managers would say, like, you know, here's like the 10 things or the five things you need to know, like in these types of roles. And let's make sure that you get exposure to all of those so that by the time you're done with that role, you at least know how to do all these things. Um, and that's that's kind of a good way of looking at it. Um at least in finance and yeah, does it do the roles line up? Not, not at all. I think, you know, I've seen like controller can mean different things. You know, if you're in a small company, sometimes controller Mm. is is like glorified bookkeeper. And if you're in a large company, the controller could be really like the CFO or CEO's right hand. Like there's such a wide variety in what that means. Um, It's I think hard to go from company to company. You really just have to look at what is this person doing? And even that would be my advice for people in a career, like don't let your title limit you, like look at the work you're doing and position yourself, you know, with that, with your abilities and skills, or look at what skills do I need to get, you know, where I want to go. Interesting.
0: And then from Schneider, a few years down the road, you are at React Gaming, Mm -hmm. you are a CFO. Tell us a, a little bit
1: more about React. What does it do? How big is the team? Uh so, so React's a small cap company here in Canada, publicly listed on the TSX venture. Um, it it has three main activities. So one, we own a gambling site called loot.bet and that's centered around esports gambling. There's other offers there, but that's the main the main thesis. another is we own a site called Compete.GG, and that one is a tournament site. So we're we're building towards basically you and I could play any game and have any sort of tournament on it. That's the that's the Investment thesis behind there, and then we have a esports team called Parabellum. So, you know, a couple of years ago, probably like six months before I ended up joining React, they um, they said, okay, we want to we want to start pivoting this company that was a marketing company and turn it into a esports company. And that happens a lot here in Canada. It's a it's kind of different than you think, like Nasdaq listed or whatnot. The venture exchange is really for like I would say ventures. It's kind of a response, I think, to to allow companies of public offering without having kind of the restrictions of being, let's say a NASDAQ listed company or a New York stock exchange. So it's a, it's, you should definitely consider it a junior kind of listing service. Um, Still has the rigors of public, but different animal. I think just to kind of level set for people from the U S there's not, you know, I think it's not as big of a thing in the U S you have OTC markets, but still not as like prevalent as, is this in Canada. Um, to the point where some US companies actually list on these ventures to go public. So you have US listed companies and Titus But yeah, to get back to the company, it's um, you know, we really put together these assets and, and are testing out an investment thesis and um seeing where it goes. Interesting. Yeah. What's next for you from here? Well, I think you know the goal here, like most most smaller companies, is is to see like, okay, how how far can we take this? Um, in terms of my career, like, I wish I could tell you like, Oh, I know where exactly I'm going to be in five years. Um, cause there was a point in my life where I didn't know I was going to be in Canada. And by the way, in those five years, I would have to in France for two years. So, you know, probably my life's not as dynamic as it can be now, you know, like, like different things have changed on my personal side, you know, been married, like we're juggling two careers. That's a little different, but at the same time, you, you still like, you never know. Um, my goal is to keep Kind of pushing my career forward because i'm not one of these people that that likes to sit sit there um and do nothing so whether we, we grow either react or eventually like on the venture a lot of these companies get bought or we'll, we'll see where that goes um you know i really am just happy where i can jump in and, and start adding value from a leadership perspective and um you know get get a team uh together and, and develop people because it's one of the things i think it's really rewarding is just Being able to take people further in their careers. Um, Not everybody, of course, is like you. Got to start with the right raw ingredients, but helping people move along is is for sure. Like at least in my mind, it feels a little bit. You know, I've had a lot of people do that for me, and I want to return that favor, kind of forward.
0: Very interesting. You mentioned briefly you you traveled. You spent some time outside of uh, North America. Mm -hmm. How was that
1: experience? I think you know it was. I would say it's eye opening. So I, I mean I'm sure maybe you have similar because you you mentioned you were you know you, did, you didn't grow up in the U.S. per se and and you have this but and I say eye opening because um you know when you're w- from one place you're used to one set of things and one set of cultures and and when you go even to some like you would think okay France it's Western or even Canada it's like practically U.S. but there's there's actually differences in the culture that you ha- you have to like either either they kind of smack you in the face or you need to back up and say okay like what am i missing here and i think it helps you be a, a lot more in tune person with just what's going on in general and like oh people have different opinions and they think differently i mean a, a lot of this you know you can even say even in the u.s moving from like on know, east coast to west coast or something you're going to have a different set of cultures and, and norms and and even greater um it definitely gives me a lot more appreciation for things like people that have to deal with, you know, English as a second language. I mean, you know, my French is still pretty horrible. Um, <laughs> although, like, they'll they'll hate me if I say this. I think that Quebec French is a lot easier to understand, like, as an Anglophone than uh, than, than the French French. But uh, you yeah. know, it's a uh, it it's it's a challenge, and and I think it's good to get that like humility of just saying, okay, not everybody is going to be perfect at English or whatever, but you can still um you know give them the benefit of the doubt and allow people to surprise you um so so that was a good piece i think just seeing different parts of the world too and and having time to actually live in a culture it gives you a different set of assumptions that you can test you know like what am i thinking that i assume that maybe not right or what can be a little bit better um i mean i'll tell you one of my favorite things about france in general is that it's perfectly okay to sit on sit on a patio and sip a coffee for three hours and just let life go by. I find that like one of the most relaxing things Um, probably bores the heck out of other people, but you you can do that there. And it's something that I wouldn't have even thought of as an option, you know, like in North America, because pretty much we're like, all right, get the coffee, go, go to work, go do stuff, go the next thing, get my workout in, you know, there's, there's not a, there's not always that time to just like sit back and relax.
0: So I'm sure then you're, colleagues over there found you more imposing because, Hey, I gotta go get to get this business done. Right, I gotta go home.
1: I don't know. I think we'd have to ask them, but for, for sure. Um, especially like, cause you know, just picture like a, a younger, more, more energetic, you know, driven person. Like it's, it's, uh, that was also something that I had to, to dial back a little bit. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of like learn a lot about yourself as well. And, and you have different kind of mirrors, I would say, to reflect you know yourself upon. Um, I think it also gives you a little bit more resilience. I mean, I, I think I, you, know, you don't realize how spoiled you are until you kind of just have to be thrown, throw yourself into a different environment and test yourself. Um, and I won't say like France is a super hard environment, but there's definitely things that just like, like I have goofy stories and there's, there's actually like, if you want, want to get a you know there's a good book called uh it's called A Year in the Mared. I hope I can say that word on on the podcast but uh it's basically this this guy from England and he goes to France and you know like living there I I I've cried laughing in parts of that book cuz it's it's kind of like some of the stuff he's writing about is true and I'm sure it happens everywhere like I I kind of want to know what I'd love to read like the American version of like a french person going to America and just seeing what's so odd um or even Canada so yeah, it's a you know, just it's a good good way to just kind of open yourself up as a person. Any goofiest workplace story other than this one? Oh, goofiest at, the, at work or like goofy France stories? I mean, I remember one time like, I think the first day there, I was trying to get a metro pass, and I went to one place that I was told to go, and they're like, "No, we don't sell them here." Then I go to another place, and keep in mind, my French at this point was like, it was terrible, like very broken, just trying to get through, and then you went to the other place and they said, no, actually you need to go back to the place you were at. Went back to the place I was at. They're like, no, no, everything's wrong. So then I just said, all right, I'm just going to buy a normal ticket and I'll sort out the Metro pass. So I finally went. And then I was just like, you know, what? I'm, I'm early. Cause I didn't realize like everybody starts there at like nine, nine 30, you know, and I'm usually the late one starting at eight 30. Like that's kind of where I was at, you know, Midwest, like seven 30, eight 730. O'clock, and you have people that are like insane. And they get to work at like six, like it's just, you know, different, different culture. So I thought, and I was early. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna go. And I checked at the station that was near near the work. And they're like, oh yeah, here you go. Here's your pass. Like, <laughs> no problem. Didn't need anything. And sometimes stuff there, it just it just kind of like that. Um, you know, I look like it was kind of frustrating at the time, but I look at it now, and it just it's just kind of like I have an appreciation for it. I, and in terms of goofy, like yeah, the first day I showed up at 8:30, and like I think I think somebody came in early at nine and was very kind and you know showed me around. Um, so that was. Uh, it was like, you know, just just certain little things. Yeah, I'm sure
0: many of our habits and of course now mine. So I grew up in India. And then when I go back and sometimes friends find me aggressive because I'm trying to do a time check on everything. Oh, we're done. Oh, let's go. Oh. And Mm -hmm. India is again, like a little bit, I would not use the word lazy, but you know, laid back, you know, yeah, we'll get it done. We'll achieve, we'll we'll accomplish. But why are you in a hurry?
1: Yeah. Well, even like I moved recently from Toronto to Calgary and just, it's, even Toronto's like a lot more East Coast, a little bit more like time sensitive, rushing around, tons more traffic. And Calgary still gets stuff done, but it just feels like everybody here is a lot more relaxed about it. <laughs> There's just... Which is not that amped up level that that you get, and and I could see the difference because at first, like you know, because Chicago is probably even more amped up than than Toronto, and then you go to New York, um, and New York's like you know the probably the the most the most amped up. Like even people I know from New York that have left for a few years, you talk to them and you know, like even if they don't have the accent, you know they're from New York. You're like, you grew up in New York, didn't you? Because they a boom 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 high energy level goes, yeah.
0: I think. We see that change in the last couple of years because of COVID and stuff, but you know the the, yeah. the basic element of okay, got to get things done on time that remains.
1: Yeah, and I, we'll we'll see how long it takes the changes to unwind. Because I don't know about you, but but I've noticed you know a lot of there was there's a big kind of swing towards remote work and work from home and a little bit more balance. And now I'm noticing that a lot of companies are like, okay, let's come back to the office and really like kind of i don't know if i would call it back to normal but maybe maybe there's kind of like a a swing back on the pendulum to to more like pre covid type work environments i'm not sure if you're seeing that on your end out, out where you're at but um definitely seeing that more and more
0: we are in fact uh, i was reading something came on my twitter feed that apple is uh, basically reprimanding employees who do not show up at least 3 days at work
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I d- exactly don't remember like how they're going to do it, but essentially managers are doing a report where people who have not badged in for three days, cons- you know, continuously over a period of month, they are going to be, you know, somehow <laughs> warned or noticed or yeah. <laughs> they get another bite out of the apple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so It's happening more and more, I think. Plus the tech, overall tech economy has softened, valuations are down. So, you know, quote unquote, employers now have more leverage than they did when the market was very hot and frothy. I think that's also kind of driving that change.
1: Yeah, there's probably some uncomfortableness too. I mean, like the market dynamics have really changed, right? Interest rates have gone up. So it's not like money isn't free anymore. And on top of that, you have a lot of baby boomers retiring. So I think there's just a lot of new quote unquote new dynamics. Like we had this, you know, if you look backwards, you're like, oh, we have this nice 20 year period of growth and stability. And now we're kind of exiting that into like a newer environment. And anytime something new happens, like, you know, you, there's always this unsettling period. Um, I mean, looking back, right, there's a housing crisis. Canada, actually, the oil price dropping really impacted it and the dollar. Um, and you know, you get through it. It's not always as bad as you think it is. And it's not always as good as you think it is on on both sides. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see how this new dynamic happens. I'm I'm like curious how how it's going to play out. Um, and yeah, a lot of tech layoffs just happened. But I think also if you looked at their hiring trends, they may have overhired, which unfortunately, when you're a large company, unless you, it's it's hard and harder to get that scale and growth at you know massive Microsoft and Apple levels. I mean, how do they get bigger? Like, what else can they do, possibly do? You know, how do you forecast
0: this? Where do we gonna go? Where are we gonna go in the next twelve to eighteen months?
1: I mean, when I think of forecasting, so one is like usually your forecast is wrong the, the second day you you have your forecast <laughs> out. You have about a day, and then something will happen. Um, you know, it depends on the industry. I think if you're, I really think you should use forecast as kind of a tool to say like, what are my assumptions and what are we basing it on. And then you go through some time and you say, okay, was I right or wrong on these assumptions? It's almost a learning tool. And you you need that tool because if you're not doing it, you could repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Mm. Um, in terms of like, how do you forecast like demographic shift? I mean, I think, I think you just make your best educated guess. Like my hunch would be, I would actually see like... My guess is we'll see more salary inflation still. I know you could like there was a lot of tech layoffs, but I think just in general, um, a lot of baby boomers are exiting the market, and there's a lot of just demand for labor, in general. And it's probably not going to be uniform across all environments. But my guess is finding, especially that higher end expertise level, is going to get harder and harder to find for a while. Um, and, And I think also that base level labor is is pretty pretty hard as well. And that's going to drive a lot of inflation. Um, I also think you have another inflation driver, which is going to be housing. So mm. you're you're in the Bay Area, right? I mean, yeah. um, it's not known for its cheap houses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bay
0: Area housing has been yeah. crazy in the last eight, 10 years. And I think we're starting to see demand soften up last six months, I would say,
1: especially yeah. because of the interest rates. That's true. Right. Yeah, so so, um, so you know I'm I'm paying a lot of attention to the real estate market as well, and you know what hasn't happened, and it kind of clicked for me a little bit was like, you know, the house that I grew up in, they don't build anymore. Like a, a starter home, a two, a, a modest two-story starter home isn't a thing. Like most most entry-level detached houses are like more than two thousand square feet, like because builders don't make margin on the smaller ones, Correct. so. I think you know we're going to see a shift to some of those smaller homes eventually because like you just can't afford it. Like if you're 30 years old now, like can you afford a 2,000 square foot home? Probably not. You know, especially after student loan debt. So I think we'll see a shift there too. But also, just, there's not enough houses. There's not enough like entry level houses, and you know now the millennial generation wants to get out and have kids and not be in their parents' house and um, you know have a family like. Like people do. And I think, I think we'll see some of that as well. So, you know, my, my guidance would be to kind of overestimate inflation in general. Um, And then also like, you have to consider that in your pricing. So I think there's, again, like you can kind of fudge your pricing. And what I mean by that is like, ah, we're not going to raise prices or whatever when inflation's like 2%, because you can, you can make some productivity gains but now you're going to have to think through this of like, okay, if my salaries are going to go up you know, 5% a year or something, which is a lot for the US on average, or maybe they're going to jump because take, uh, we were talking about the audit industry. So 20 years ago, an auditor made like 50 grand out of college and 18 years ago, an auditor made 50 grand out of college. And now I think that levels kind of reset because they just ran out of people. Um, and a lot of, especially COVID people were like, I'm not going to do audit. Like, I think they had the same view as I did, you know, when I was started was like, maybe that's not, maybe that's not for me. I'll try something different. And, and you're going to see like, all of a sudden the price of audits went up 40%. And I think they weren't used to that because they, you know, audit wasn't seen as this value add. Well, apply that to your company, right? Like, what are we doing? If my labor cost goes up, do I need to raise my prices? You know, five percent a year at least. And that's if it was coaching a business owner. I would say you need to really look at like where your forecasted cost is going to go because you you need to start socializing these price increases with your with your customers and start putting them, them in, um, because you're going to see this kind of erosion of your margins just by inflation, um, and that probably isn't going to like my guess is the interest rates are going to help that a little bit but some of that's going to be outside of the central bank control it's not not a money supply issue it's a demographic issue shouldn't something like
0: audit be automated by now like why software has not solved
1: it that's a great question um and and something i've been thinking about i think there's a few few animals that go into that one is Every company is kind of a little bit different. And so automation is really good when you have the same thing over and over again. But then when you have exceptions, you need a human to come in. Even if you think of like AP automation, where my accounts payable comes in, I should be able to just automate it and it flows. That works like 90% of the time. And then you need a person for 10% of like, oh, it didn't code right or whatever. Audit, there's a few animals. One is you have this group, you know, running IFRS, which is the auditing, like the accounting standards. And it it's kind of like taxes where like taxes never get less complex from year to year. <laughs> and IFRS always says like, like their answer to every problem is like, oh, we had a problem. Let's make it more complex. And and maybe I'm overgeneralizing here, but the standards haven't gotten harder, haven't gotten easier to deal with. They've actually gotten harder. I would probably, I'm I'm maybe this weird person that would argue we should make the standards simpler. And easier to audit what goes in them because usually when, like when a when a big fraud happens, like I don't know FTX or Enron, like it's not because they didn't report in a complex way. It's because they they just broke the law. Like there's it wasn't. It's very simple. Like no, he just spent money at Willful FTX. Enron, Enron just like manipulated accounting until yeah. they couldn't anymore. And it's not a it's not like more regulations going to fix that. Like what would actually fix that to your point would be automation because it's very hard to, to lie. You know, if, if all your transactions have to be in the same way and you have to validate it, it's, it's a lot harder to lie than when you get a person involved because, because unfortunately people were fallible and um, we get tired and our kids, you know, kept us up all last night and this client's really important and I don't want to lose them and they're the next big thing. And then all of a sudden they crash. So um I, I think that's probably the main root driver is we keep making it more and more complex. We don't have that pause where we can just stop and make it simpler. There is a company that's trying to do that though. Uh, out of Montreal, um, I'm not associated with them, but but I like what you know I've seen out of them so far called Stamped, I think. So their goal is to try to get this automation done. And I think there's been like, I guess the second point I would say in this is, there's been a lot of automation I think that's happened. It's just, we don't go from like, we don't go from zero to like like driving manual cars to, you know, all cars are like like self-driven overnight. And the same thing for most automation, it's usually steps at a time. So if you think about it like you can audit now transactions in like AP or whatever, pretty like there's mechanical ways to do that, there's automated ways to do that. It's just not every piece of the process has been automated yet.
0: I agree because there's so much effort that goes into everything else, right? So mm-hmm. what we typically call is a front office. Hey, let's automate customer journeys and onboarding time should be less. But not a lot of attention is paid to the kitchen or the back office saying, oh, if the processes are not in place, how are you going to, how are you going to recognize the revenue? How are you going to make more money? How can you outreach to more customers? Right. And I keep hearing this theme about how finance is still driven by spreadsheets and it's the same process for 20 years. So somebody should have looked into it and automated the hell out of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think more and more there is some, some automation that happens. It's, there's also this, uh, I call it the washing machine problem, which I think is pretty famous. Do you know about that? I haven't. So, So, okay. We got, you know, we used to hand wash our clothes and you probably at that time you wore the same thing for about a week and then you washed it then we got washing machines great now we we can wear you know takes so much so much faster so what do we do we just wear more clothes now so we
0: invented a solution that gave us more problems than anything else
1: right like like and i think with with analysis though but there's a lot of great things that we can do with analysis but sometimes i think companies end up going way too far it's like all right, well, did we look at this? And did we look at this? And sometimes it's good to look at it once. But then it's hard to have that memory of like, okay, we looked, we went down this path of analysis and we found that either it was inconclusive or it didn't really give us anything. You know, like it, it's science. It's basically you're doing science, right? Because you don't know and you have a hypothesis and you're trying to prove it. And when you get more and more data, you just have more and more that you can play with. So your, your time still gets utilized. Hmm. And sometimes you know, you, you think like, oh, okay, why does it always go into spreadsheets? Well, you can automate certain processes, like you can automate your close process pretty well. And you can automate accounts payable and accounts receivable. There's a lot of good things that you can actually do. But what does that allow you to do that allows you to have to do more? Hmm. So I may automate my receivables, and then now I can grow my business. So you kind of get, you know, you have these, uh, like, you have these hurdle points. And once you get past them, then you have a new hurdle point. Like you have, your bottleneck always kind of pushed, gets pushed to a different spot. I think on the whole, it's a good thing, though, because that means that we're progressing kind of as humans and as companies. Um, and we are more efficient. It probably, we just, you probably don't see it from day to day. You know, you think like, oh, these companies are doing spreadsheets. Well, yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time in Excel still. But I spend a lot less time doing mundane tasks in Excel. Like I would tell anybody right now, if you're in school, like learn Power Query because there's still a ton of systems that throw out really bad data and that helps you clean data. Like y- you work an hour to clean data and then that data from that system is never a problem again. So Power Query in Excel. Yeah. Got it. Or Power BI. That's, that's Power another good too. But again, we added more things. Like dashboarding wasn't a thing until like it really took off maybe five years ago I mean 10 years ago it was like a cool idea and only like certain software had it and then you get like a power bi and a tableau that comes out um and then I think now people are starting to realize well we went too far in dashboards because like yes I have these really pretty graphs and you know I only still look at these three numbers you know and that's that's the essence of I think being an executive and running your own business and being more effective is like what do I really need to look at because you can you can look at a ton of things but what are the key drivers of your business and how do I make this simple so that I know, okay, my revenue is not hitting my forecast. It's not hitting my forecast because of these reasons. And these are the actions that I need to drive. Always need to drive from like, you know, what am I seeing? to what is my action? And anytime you don't have that in a report, like you're probably better off just throwing it out. Um, Cause sometimes it, it, if you can't do anything about it, why worry? there's other things you can probably fix. I want to change to
0: something much more interesting yeah. to you. You mentioned about your guitar <laughs> and I, I see
1: one right there in the corner. What's mm-hmm. the story there? Oh, I was in bands for a long time. Like I decided to pick up. Yeah. Like the like, ever since high school, we had like, we even organized the battle of the bands. I don't, I don't know how, like how we ended up doing that, but we're like, yeah, we want to, and I think it was just an excuse because we wanted a place to like, like play um so i was in bands in like high school and college and then then kind of stopped that because you know i like i said before with certain things once you realize what that life is like you would be like well i could i could practice all the time and you know be on the road and you know maybe that's not the life that i want like it's not as fun once you it's like not fun to play music once you're there you know like don't make your hobbies your job because then they're not fun anymore um that some people can get away with that. And I just, I definitely wasn't one. And then also I was like, do I really want to like be poor for 20 years and maybe make it, or you <laughs> know, maybe just, just, you know, do something that's probably a little bit more tried and true. I think it was, I was in that tried and true thing. But I still enjoy playing. What do you from play? Time, to time? Yeah. What do you play? Like type of music.
0: Yeah. Type of music, any specific genre.
1: also Covers. All sorts of things i think like you know i still just only have the acoustic now so you know i i'm a pretty i have a pretty broad and eclectic taste in music um probably one of my favorite bands is guster like they're they're an east coast band um probably nobody knows about them but like i'll be surprised if anybody listening to the podcast has a has a has knowledge of them but uh they're probably one of my favorite bands but i also like I like death metal too, you know, like when I go hit the gym or something or just like to clear my head. So wide variety. Uh, so death, my favorite, death metal,
0: yeah. Anthrax, 80s group.
1: That's Yeah, Anthrax is, Anthrax is in there. Yeah, they're, they're ah. kind of like, I, I have an appreciation for them now. I kind of grew up listening to them in high school too. I don't know, they hit me at the right time. But like, you know, just I have a playlist of kind of music that just kind of wakes me up, you know, and, and, and gets me <laughs> moving. So yeah, kinda kinda like I don't know, like a Michael Burry playlist or something from from the big short. Like either that or, you know, there's also like one of the more fun bands I was in, we did like alternative country music. So like mm. that was pretty random, but but it was it was a good time. Yeah. So you yeah, know, I, I just I feel like there's there's something to music every now and then. It's a good way it's a good um good way to get you in a different mind space. And kind of stop worrying about the day to day and you know spreadsheets and numbers and figures and stuff. Got it. Yeah. As we wrap
0: up this conversation, what would you recommend knowing the times we are in, the macro that we are in? You know, if I am a 10 plus year in my career finance professional, what should I do?
1: Well, I think, you know, one of the things I would go back and do differently and and am still working on now, but like have a strategy for your career. Because most of us don't do that. Most of us don't sit down and say, like, strategically, what do I want as a person? And that's different for all of us. Like, some people want to retire earlier. Some people want to, you know, I have an ambition to do this, to own my own business. Like, figure out what you want. And then strategically, how am I going to get there? Like, I think that's the first step. And then after you've sorted that out, that can kind of be your guiding light of, like, am I moving towards my goals? Like, am I moving in my strategy or away from my strategy? And that gives you a lens to think of, okay, am I doing, like, if I'm working in this job that I have right now, is it helping me or not? Because sometimes you go in a job and you're like, okay, I've been here two years. Um, I've kind of hit that S curve. Like, do I need to look for something else or get promoted in the company or maybe take even a lateral move to learn something else? Or am I happy here? Because my, my plan may be like, well, I just want to earn money and then, you know, work 20 years and retire. And that's perfectly fine. And you may be like, well, I'm in a good position. I'm making money. I know what I'm doing. Like my kids are, you know, I get to see my kids ball games. That's great. And if that's your strategy, that, that means you're executing a strategy and that's perfect. It can give you some comfort. They're like, hey, what I'm doing is right. Or you could say like, well, you know, like I'm younger. I don't have kids yet. I'm really ambitious. I want to get to a higher level. I want to learn some new things. Then like maybe you're in that role and you don't, you should be like, you, you could be like, all right, maybe I'm better off doing something different. So I I think the number one thing is actually build it your career strategy like you would strategize for a company. Got it.
0: That's a fantastic career advice, Scott. You know, thank you for your time and uh, fantastic chatting with you. With that, we'll wrap up this. And uh,
1: where can people find you? So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, hopefully, we can put something in the show notes. But yep. Scott Myers CPA is the uh, is the, the handle there. Uh, that's probably the best place to get a hold of me. Just connect and feel free to send me a message. Um, I actually do talk to people and and reach out, so. Great, that is Scott Myers
0: on our podcast today, CFO of React Gaming. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Chief Future Officer Podcast. The Chief Future Officer Podcast is brought to you by Quolam, a CFO's best buddy to buy and manage SaaS. To support this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast application. Links to previous episodes and the rest of the show notes are in the bio. And I'd love to have you check out other episodes. Lastly, if you want to be on this podcast or recommend a friend, let us know in the comments below. Thank you.